When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 515 of the Duke Basketball Roundup Podcast. The 515, that's a that's a great song by the Who. Either of either you familiar with it's a good, yeah. it's a good tune. It's, the, <laughs> it's one of the lead tracks off of Quadrophenia. Anyway, uh, we're back to talk uh, some, I'd say marginal, but still important Duke basketball news. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein coming to you on the morning of 513. It's May 13th, not May 15th. I am joined as always by Jason and Donald. Jason Evans, good morning, sir. How are good you? Good morning. Good morning to you. Any any anything to report? Any any weird stuff? No, your- not really. Not really. Uh the uh, COVID is almost completely gone. I'm almost completely over COVID. I still have a little oh tiny bit of a cough. But other than that, everything else is is fine and dandy in the Evans household. Boy. Uh, Donald Wine, good morning. Yeah. Hey, uh, very quickly, two kind of op- polar opposite things I want to say. First off, to all the mothers out there, it's Mother's Day weekend, so happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, and also, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about this on the last show, uh, but a melancholy happy trails, as they would say on PTI, to uh, Danny Crum, who passed away last week at the age of 86. Uh two national championships in the 80s, 1980 and 1986. I know we don't like to talk about 1986 because that was at the expense of our Duke Blue Devils, but Denny Crum, one of the legendary coaches in college basketball history, and I just want to have a melancholy, happy trails uh, to him and the career that he had. Uh, 86 is right in the territory that we call job well done. Rest in peace. Jason, any further reflection on Denny Crum? No, I mean, he was the guy who... My freshman year, Duke made the NCAA finals, 1986. And Denny Crum was the coach of the Louisville team that defeated us. But I still have tremendous respect for the man. And it's, uh, you know, it's always it's always sad when when these names that we remember who are just legends of the game leave us. So I, I, I will reflect on Denny Crum in a nice way, not with my undying hatred of the 1986 Louisville team. <laughs> Oh, anything else before we get into the into the into the real stuff? No, let's let's get into it. I, I hear we have some let's, schedule talk. So we have talk schedule talk today, uh, and and we have the transfer transfer portal uh, entrance window has been closed. So we're going to reflect a bit on that because that gives us a bit of incremental knowledge about what the roster is going to look like for Duke for the twenty three twenty four season. But before we get to that, the schedule news for this week is a big one. Uh, we you know, we we have to talk about every time Duke adds one of these, you know, mid-major, low-major teams to the calendar. Uh, they, they've got that that exempt tournament that's going to go on in Cameron with a bunch of schools that uh, may or may not make the NCAA tournament next year. But this news is a big one. So the the intel now 
is that Duke will be playing Baylor at Madison Square Garden on December 20th. So a little pre-Christmas special for Duke against uh, one of the programs that has been, you know, top 10 in the sport. One of the very best programs in the sport the last few years, won the national championship just a couple of years ago. So Duke gets Baylor in December uh, to further highlight a schedule that we know already includes Arizona in Cameron Indoor and Michigan State in the Champions Classic. So, Jason, what do you think about Duke adding Baylor as a MSG game for December this year? I mean, I don't know how you can't be thrilled by something like this. That Baylor is always a really athletic team. They they are a, a test, no matter you know whether it's a great Baylor team or one that's a little bit down. Really well coached, always a contender. This is exactly the kind of matchup that you want to see Duke taking on. I, I again, I love the fact that the Baylor teams always seem to have a lot of athleticism on the floor, and uh, you know that's that's going to be a challenge for this Duke team. I, I we are we're a very very skilled team. I don't know that I would say that we're the most athletic team out there. We don't have a ton of guys that I go that is that guy's just a ridiculous run jump kind of athlete. And I think it's be really interesting to see how how Duke's you know more skilled players match up against a Baylor team that I'm sure is going to have some guys who are just going to be eye popping athleticism. And we should note that that you know if you're looking at the very early preseason rankings, Baylor is is somewhere in like the bottom half of the top 25. So maybe not the national champion from a couple of years ago, but certainly a a very competitive program. Donald, what do you think about Duke adding Baylor to the schedule? I I love it. Bring this bring the bring the schedule on right now because I I love this addition. I think the one thing that is a little bit different than we've seen in previous years. We've seen it like maybe five, six, ten years ago, where we would have this Madison Square Garden game after the reading period break that we normally take in December. Uh, but having it, you know, having it after actually adds another element to it because these guys are going to need to be ready to go as soon as the reading period is done to get ready for a huge test instead of having it kind of before uh, that break. So I, I I really like not just who we're scheduling, but when we're scheduling it, because I feel like the last time we did this was maybe 10 years ago where we had the game in Madison Square Garden after the reading period. Well, Sam, you're, I'm sorry, Donald, you're referring to it as the reading period. You mean exams themselves. This will be after exams are done. Correct. Correct. I call and, it the reading and, period break. So the, the reading period plus exams. I call that the reading period break. Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to recall. I, I I we don't know enough about the schedule yet to know for certain if this will be the first game after the exam break. It is very possible that it will be, and and that would you know that could be a real test for Duke. I, my bet is they may try and get something scheduled in there just before this game, just have a little tune up. But yeah, this is a, a really interesting time in the schedule for a game like this. So I think the yeah. the one game I think the one game that we did have in recent memory that I can recall that was after this exam break reading period break whatever you want to call it I believe the, the Texas Tech game in 2018 I check me if I'm wrong but I think that game was just after uh, our little exam break it was later on in December as opposed to early in December uh, but remember that was a tough test and we we could have faced them in the final four had we made it there uh, but I, I think having this team afterwards after that break is a way to kind of make sure we're out of our rest super quickly. If you remember last year, we didn't get out of that rust period, the, the exam period break. We played Wake Forest and got the break speed off of us. So hopefully we have a better time this time around. You you were exactly right. It was actually 2019, although the 2019, yeah, 2019 schedule. Thank you. 
took place in December of 2018. We played Texas Tech on December 20th. And two days prior to that, on December 18th, we played Princeton. So last time we had this kind of setup, they found a way to get a game in just before it, which, again, I think is a good way to knock some of the rust off. The the other interesting element of that is that the ACC schedule now, you know, like exists in December, like pretty meaningfully. Duke has usually played like one ACC game before finals, and then they get back to ACC play for like a couple more games uh, after finals and and before New Year's. So we'll be talking about this Baylor game when it comes up in the context of maybe Duke having some other difficult conference games. I'm not sure that the that <laughs> that Baylor's going to be similar to a lot of ACC teams next year, given uh, given how continued down we sort of project the conference overall to be. But it'll be in the you know in the in the midst of Duke preparing for ACC season that they have to play this really tough opponent. Yeah, last year. On December 20th, again, we love to play on December 20th, we had Wake Forest. It was our first game after the exam break. And obviously, that's one of the the poorest games that Duke played all year. So, yeah, Sam, you're exactly right. We, in fact, we had three games last year take place before, before New Year's Day in the ACC. So, yeah, I, I think it's very likely you're going to see Duke with an ACC game scheduled in early December and at least one in late December, you know, around Christmas or maybe just after Christmas. Uh, you know, it's a, the schedule's going to be very interesting. I can't wait to see it. We're still probably three months away, but. <laughs> you know, I think also one thing to look out for, because we've had this in previous years where we had a non-conference game either towards the end of December or, you know, we, all, we even had the St. John's game or Georgetown that we would play in like late January, early February. I think those days are, are done. We're not with the ACC schedule, the way it is and how many games we do end up playing. I don't think we're going to have a game in January non-conference, but I'm wondering if we have a non-conference game after this, uh, if, if they, for some reason, put our annual, you know, ACC teams usually get like one week break. And if we have it in December, I wouldn't be surprised to have a non-conference schedule in that week right between Christmas and New Year's. I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to happen, but it feels like last year they commented a lot on how the non-conference schedule was so in your face to start the season that they didn't have a feel like they had a chance to really take a break and practice as a team. If you remember, they talked about Derek Whitehead, you know, in the middle of December had only had one practice with the team because he'd just come back from injury. So I wonder if they build in some some extra time so that especially with this team trying to get them to you know to gel and and work on some things as they enter late December so that when ACC season comes they're ready to go and and it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of lay the schedule out especially with the non-conference overlaid with the the overlap that that is the ACC season starting in December well the one thing I'll say Donald is that I think this team may need you know breaks or opportunities to gel together as you put it a little less than previous teams because, I mean, Duke is bringing back more experience. We're bringing back four guys, yeah. Yeah, more starts, whatever you want to call it, from this team than uh, we should go back at some point and look. I bet the last time Duke brought back this many, and we should wait until we know what Jeremy Roach is doing. My God, if Jeremy Roach is coming back, then Duke is bringing back four starters. But the last time Duke brought back this many guys was probably – might have been like 2013 or something 2013, like that. 2013, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they may not need quite as much time to gel together. Not that, I mean, obviously working the freshmen in, getting them up to speed, getting them familiar with what Proctor and Mitchell and Filipowski and the such are doing, hugely important, of course. 
and and freshmen also need time to adjust to the the pace of the schedule for sure but but it may not be quite as critical as it was last year when we had what like nine guys who are new to the program and you have lots of guys so the guys that are returning can also show the freshmen sort of what's going on so even if those freshmen are are like slow on the uptake uh there's plenty of places there are plenty of guys to, for them to rely on. Like I assume that last year, Jeremy Roach and and Jalen Blakes were, you know, pulling uh, double overtime duty on on, you know, getting the guys used to not just the the practice schedule, but just being at Duke. There's probably a ton of of acclimation that's going on, not just from the freshmen, but from the transfers as well. And so, as you guys said, a lot less of that uh that that should have to happen this year so i'm sure we will hear quotes from john shire in september like man this team is way ahead of where we were last year it's so good to have to have so many of them back um sounds like a segue sam is that a segue (laughs) Uh, yeah so maybe maybe we can segue that into talking about a little bit about the roster none of this is is like the most revelatory part of the schedule here but the so this past week uh the transfer window has uh or the transfer portal entry time has closed. So you can't uh you can't enter the transfer portal anymore technically if you're a if you're a division one basketball player. Uh, so, undergrad. Undergrad. If you're undergrad. if you're a grad you can still enter, but unless and so and so yeah. we don't know sort of immediately what this means for Duke in terms of taking guys in, but as far as guys going out, we all were talking on our last episode about how there's been no formal announcement from any of Christian Reeves Jaden Shute and Jalen Blakes. So what that means, presumably, gentlemen, unless you know something something goes terribly awry, is that all three of them will be back at Duke next season. And as we've said in the in the course of all the uh, of all the recruiting news and all the news of of guys like Proctor, Filipowski, and Mitchell coming back, the roster feels a little bit more crowded for all of those players next year. Maybe save for Christian Reeves if if Duke doesn't have uh, as much depth in the front court. But uh, the I'm sure there was a bit of speculation about any of the three of them wanting to transfer just to get more playing time because it doesn't feel like, especially in the backcourt, that there are a ton of minutes to go around. So, Donald, any reaction to uh, to those guys deciding to stay and maybe maybe thinking about uh, what their development at Duke could look like, given that we expect them all to continue being, you know, bench players for the next season? Well, I think the first part is having them on campus all summer. Again, Jason just talked about the continuity of this roster. They are a part of that. You know, even if they didn't play that many minutes or as many minutes as they thought they would uh, this past season, they are part of that continuity. They can help teach some of the incoming freshmen and, and the incoming transfers that we have about Duke basketball and what it means and, and what the standard of excellence is, uh, you know, in the brotherhood and, and, and being a part of that. So, I'm excited to have them step up in those ways. I'm also excited to see that they will be able to improve on their games. You know, Jaden shoot. We've talked about how he can be a great jump shooter. And we saw, I guess not even, I won't, I won't call flashes because we didn't see enough of him this past season really say, Oh, he's improved and, and getting, you know, to the, to the next level of a shooting. But if he can provide shooting off of the bench, that is always going to be needed on a college basketball team, much less an elite college basketball team. For Jalen Blakes, again, I think the leadership qualities, he showed a little bit of that. And being able to back up some of these guys on, you know, in the, at the point guard position, I think is going to be great. And then Christian Reeves, honestly, you know, Christian Reeves is seven feet one. You know what you can't teach guys? Height. 
can't teach height ever. Uh, I can teach you how to be a big man and you can be five foot seven. But if you're seven foot one, it makes it that much easier. And, and Christian Reeves happens to be seven foot one. So uh, I, I'm liking the fact that if he can, you know, especially if we don't get a portal big man, I know we'll talk about one that hit the portal like very quickly. But if we don't get a portal big man and we were talking about flip at the five, we may not have to. Because even with Ryan Young coming off the bench, Christian Reeves could have some spot duties at the five. And again, if he can be a, a rim protector and also a guy on offense who can, you know, again, clean up the glass, Christian Reeves can get some playing time. He, I think he might have the biggest summer ahead of him because he's the guy that I think could, could stand to gain from some departures and also just from the opportunities that are ahead of him, he might be able to get some playing time out of this. Well, and, and as you said, when it comes to returning players, uh, Jalen Blake's we heard last year was, uh, you know, was was sort of part of the welcoming committee for the guys. And so, you know, the, the assumption is that that all of these guys are coming back with the right attitude about about playing those uh, playing those bench roles, but still being, you know, Im- important to the program in ways maybe that we, the fans, are not able to see. So uh, I, I think it, it speaks hey, well. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. They could. I'm not going to say never, right? Look, because we've injuries, had guys who come back. Sure. Yeah, we've had people who have come back, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're you know slated for a bench role or slated for this particular type of role." And then they, the summer, they come out and they're like, "Oh, yeah, this guy's good. We're going to play him more." Hey, this is exactly what I looked into, guys. I tried to go back and find some historical comps for each one of these players, and admittedly, it's not easy. Every play, everybody runs their own race. You know, you hear that all the time and that that's absolutely true. But I tried to look a little bit and see if I could find guys where I could go, oh, you know, this is a guy who had sort of a similar role, at, you know, at this stage of their career. And and then, you know, what was their role like the next year uh, for, for Jalen Blakes? It's easy. Everyone, everyone makes the Jordan Goldwire comparison, you know, lightly regarded recruits who, you know, come across as really scrappy and hard workers, and and in their sophomore seasons, I think they had reasonably similar profiles. Jalen Blake's played about 13 and a half minutes per game. Jordan Goldwire play, played about eight, almost nine minutes per game. They, you know, they they both didn't score a ton, had some assists, but not a lot. But, you know, you can definitely see how Blake's and Goldwire profile similarly. And it's worth noting, after that sophomore year where Jordan Goldwire only played about nine minutes per game, as a junior... He turned into a 24-minute-per-game player, averaged almost five points per game, and two-and-a-half assists per game. I don't I don't know that 24 minutes are, are in the cards for Jalen Blakes. You know, obviously, the, the circumstances on the team are that there are a lot of guards on this squad and, and a lot of new guys coming in. But, but I think that's an interesting comparison just to think about, you know, the progression from sophomore to junior year. With the other guys, it's the progression from freshman to sophomore year. I'll start with Christian Reeves. The comparison I found for him was Marshall Plumley. And I, I think that this this really works. Both both of them, again, not super highly regarded in terms of recruiting ranking, and big men who who are not like guys who are going to jump out of the gym. I mean, both of them are big men who are more physical and strong than they are explosive. Uh, Christian Reeves and Marshall Plumley. Marshall Plumley, as a freshman, played in just nineteen games, averaged two point six minutes per game. He scored a total of two points as a freshman, one for eight on field goals with Marshall Plumley. Christian Reeves played in 13 games and averaged 3.2 minutes per game. So that's very similar. Both guys pretty much only playing mop-up time, although Christian Reeves was, was a much more prolific scorer than Marshall Plumley was. 
you know, Christian Reeves last year, eight of 11 on field goals, as opposed to one of eight from Marshall Plumley. It is worth noting that as a sophomore, Marshall Plumley comes back and goes from mop-up time to actually having a little bit of a role, played in 30 games, averaged more than eight minutes per game, um, grabbed a couple rebounds every one of those games. I mean, you know, it, Marshall Plumley did not get disappeared on the bench as a sophomore. His role increased, and I think that it's very, very likely you'll see something similar, something like eight to ten minutes per game from Christian Reeves this year. Jaden Shute is the more difficult one. I, guys, I looked. I spent some real time looking through Duke history to find someone co- comparable to Jaden Shute. And I think the problem is that Jaden Shute has such a unique sort of game as as a guy who is a, a dead-eye three-point shooter. But, you know, really, let's be honest, clearly deficient in some other areas of his game. So it's really tough to find someone who profiles as, as a comparison. I mean, like in terms of minutes and the such, I think David McClure is a decent comp. Jaden Shute played in 14 games, averaged almost seven minutes per game. David McClure played in 25 games and averaged about seven minutes per game as a freshman. But but I don't know, you know, there's nothing about David McClure's game that is similar to Jaden Shute's game. So so the minutes and the and the opportunities seem similar, but but the rest of it just does not seem similar at all. So I don't know that there is a good comp for Jaden Shute. Jason, if Jaden Shute turns into a like glue guy defense. One amazing highlight in his career, dude. Like, like David. It's not McClure. happening. I, I'd be thrilled with that outcome. That sounds super cool. I, I have, I have uh, good memories of David McClure. So, uh, oh yeah. But, hey, but well, yes, great player. And and that that one highlight is, folks. If you have not seen David McClure's game winning shot, go hit YouTube. It is. It's a great one. Was that the only was thing that'll pop Virginia up? Virginia Tech. So. It was Virginia Tech right? Uh, or was it Clemson? No, no. Sean Dockery is the. Is the, against Virginia Tech. Uh, is against Virginia Tech. Dave McClure is against Clemson. So. Yes, yes, but uh, but back to back to Jaden shoot. I, I I have so such high hopes for this kid. I really think his shooting is something that's going to have to get time, and he has now had the time, and the coaches have had the time to explain to him. Here are the things you don't need to worry about the shooting. <laughs> Here are the other things you need to work on to get yourself a role on this team. And given an entire summer, and, and and given the fact that he did not transfer. By the way, we haven't really talked that much. We're talking about the guys. We haven't talked that much about the fact that these guys chose to stick around at Duke. We haven't mentioned the fact that Duke is the only, again, the only power six program that did not have a transfer this season. I'll shout out Villanova. Villanova had a guy who transferred back in December. They've not had anyone transferred this summer, but that still counts as the season. But Duke is the only Power Six conference team that has had zero transfers off of our roster. That's amazing. It is a testament to the relationship that John Shire has with these guys. And more importantly, it's a testament to the way Shire has communicated with each of these players who could have transferred. And let's be clear, shoot Reeves, Blakes. They all could have transferred. They all could be looking for more time elsewhere. But clearly, John Shire has explained to these guys, here is what your role could be. Here are the things you need to do to have that role. And they have bought in and they believe that they can make that happen. And that's, it, it's unbelievable. It's such, uh, Guys, I can't even imagine how well John Shire is doing as a brand new coach. It's, it's, it, it's hard to even fathom. I, I will say on Jaden Shute, 
it's very clear that this summer he needs to improve his defense because defense is going to, I mean, your shooting can get you on the court, but your defense is going to keep you there. We say that time and time again. And that's the great thing is that defense is very coachable. Defense can be improved. It's not like, oh, sorry, you're just, you know, you're maxed out at seven foot one. You can't grow any, you can't grow anymore. You can always improve as a defender. You know, LeBron James is one of the greatest defenders in, in history. And he was a great defender as 18, but how much better he is now that he's 38. You can always improve in that area. And the great thing about Jaden Shoot is what's going to get him on the court are things that he can improve on. And it's not like he's, you know, pigeonholed into, hey, this guy's always just going to be, you know, at this level. He can always get to the next level. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Also, he can get stronger. I think another thing is, you know, even when he's in tight places, to be able to, you know, take a step and push some guy away to create enough sh- uh, room to get his shot off. I think he's, you know, if he's working on that in the offseason and he can show improvement in those areas, we're going to see shoot on the court. The Duke basketball roundup where you can hear Jaden shoot compared to David McClure and LeBron James within five minutes. It's called range. <laughs> range. We, we know the names of a lot of basketball players. I think that's the <laughs> we're mostly just trying to impress you with the names of the basketball players. We know guys, let's take a quick break when we get back. Uh, speculation about one recent transfer portal uh, entry who Duke might be interested in. Seems like a good roster fit. Stick around. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors. No prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer. Thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right, so head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back and we are still talking transfer portal, but this time it is uh, guys transferring out of other places rather than guys uh, transferring out of Duke, which is which is fun. And and this one worth talking about because we still think that Duke's got space on the roster for one more big man and a big one 
became available this week. Uh, Kansas lost uh, center, uh, rising sophomore center Ernest Uday to the transfer portal. The, the One of the big transfer news items last week was that Kansas was picking up uh, Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, uh, probably the highest profile transfer in the portal during this during this spring's transfer portal season. But uh, as a result of that, Ernest Uday, former McDonald's All-American, is transferring away from Kansas. And he is now available, uh, a guy who played limited minutes last year, just just uh, eight minutes a game uh, and, and only scored two points a game, almost three points a game for Kansas last year. But a guy with a lot of potential uh, and a guy who performed very well against Duke in the uh, four in the block shots classic last Sam, year. four yeah. block shots he had against Duke. I remember Jason, the dude. I was going to say, Jason, remind us, remind us what Ernest Duda did against Duke uh, in the fall last year. Yeah, so he had four block shots against the Blue Devils. He didn't do much else in that game, but uh, I, I, he only played like thirteen minutes or something like that too. Yeah, but four block shots. Uh, Ernest Uday is someone who, uh, you're, you're right, Sam. He had a limited role for Kansas last year. But in that limited role, people saw glimpses of a guy who could be a an absolutely dominant defensive presence. Uh, he had a block rate last year of 7.7%. Uh, that basically means when he was on the floor, he blocked close to 8% of the shots that were taken while he was on the floor. That's That was top 50 in the country. Uh, now, remember, Derek Lively was third in the country in block rate. So we're not talking about another Derek Lively, but we are talking about a guy who is very impactful at the rim. And and it's worth noting that he had a really impressive um, 4.6% steal rate, which would have placed him top 20 in the country. He has quick hands. He has long arms. He gets a lot of deflections. Ernest Uday is a guy who a lot of people look at and say, this is someone who absolutely has the potential to turn into a defensive beast, just something, you know, a, a defensive force that protects the rim for you, that's disruptive of passing lanes and and really is a problem for opposing teams to deal with. He is nothing on offense so far. He 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 was just a dunker last year for Kansas. Of the, of the 45 shots he took on the season, 29 of them were dunks. <laughs> he only attempted one shot all year that wasn't at the rim. And and he was a he was not a good free throw shooter. You could tell that this is a guy who's not comfortable on offense when he's more than three or four feet from the basket. He hit just forty one percent of his free throws. Now he didn't take a lot. He only took twenty two free throws in the season, nine of twenty two. So that's a small sample size, but still forty one percent is is not great. But the reason we're excited about Ernest Uday is that Duke doesn't need a guy to do a lot on offense. Look, we we saw Derek Lively, who did not do a lot on offense for Duke last year, and we saw how impactful he could be. And it's worth noting that two minutes, count them, two minutes after Ernest Uday announced that he was entering the transfer portal on Instagram, Mark Mitchell, Duke's Mark Mitchell, had already commented on that Instagram post with just a little, a little smiley sign. And he said, hey, big fella. So now I don't know that Mark Mitchell was, you know, clued in that this was about to happen or he was just, you know, hanging out on Instagram. I mean, Mark Mitchell is a is a Kansas guy and and uh, Grady Dick is a it was his classmate. So I, I assume yeah. that he's fairly plugged in. But to your point, it also means that he was looking at Instagram like at that moment. Yeah, exactly. And it's worth noting that about 10 minutes after Mark Mitchell commented, Sean Stewart, also commented on Ernest Uday's Instagram post. And Sean Stewart was even more, 
he, he was even more overt about it. He just wrote slide like he was sliding into the into the comments. Come on, come on over. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> he, and he put through. a little he put a little devil emoji in there as well. So look, look, Sean Stewart would presumably be competing with Uday for minutes if, if Uday was on the was on the roster at Duke. So, yeah, that's one they, of the things that makes it really interesting here. But there, it's clear said for that if, uh, if 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 guys at your position want you uh, want you here. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it is clear that Duke is very aware that Ernest Uday entered the transfer portal. Uh, we haven't heard anything official yet, but I would not be at all surprised if, uh, you know, as Ernest Uday begins to whittle down the number of schools that we don't see Duke on his list. It's interesting, too, because uh, it sounds like Mackenzie Mbako is going to Kansas. So No, in, going no, no, no. He, he, he announced oh, for Indiana. He, this morning. He, oh, I, I, he, he went he to sleep too early last night, Sam. <laughs> oh, shoot. I was going to say, I, I, th- this could have been a situation where Duke and, and uh, Kansas were trading big men, uh, or at least or at least tall players. I don't know if Mbako counts as a, as a big man. But, uh, oh, Mbako's going to Indiana. Now I know. So uh, I woke up on the wrong side this morning. All right. Donald, any other uh, further reaction to uh, to the Ernest Uday news and, and the potential for him coming to Duke? We have no idea, by the way, if there is actually, as Jason said, if there is any any uh, real interest. Uh, we just find it intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with the big men that are currently in the portal, keep in mind that some guys that we were talking about that entered uh, the NBA draft or tested the NBA draft, none of those names are on the transfer portal wire as of today. So it's fair to assume that those guys, if they do return to college, they'll be returning to uh, their schools like Deron Holmes and, and Sonogo from uh, from UConn. I think those guys did Adam, not Adam Bona. Adam Bona of UCLA Adam was, Bona, was yeah. one that there was lots to talk about, but it, word now is that if he comes back, it will be to UCLA. He won't go elsewhere. Right. So that leaves us with the, the couple of guys that are out there that, again, one is intriguing in Uday. The other that I think has been talked about recently was uh, Bandago uh, from uh, U- was it Utah Valley. Yeah. Aziz um, Bandago. Yeah. Yeah, so see, those are the only two guys left. I would take Uday. Uh, I mean, Uday is is a guy who has. I, I saw him play the McDonald's All American game a few couple of years ago. Seen him play in high school. Man has a lot of potential, especially on the offensive end. I know Jason talked about some of uh, the deficiencies in this offensive game, or at least you know the the limitations uh, at this point. But on defense, again, having another shot, uh, a rim protector. I'll take those every day of the week because those, as we saw last year, can instantly translate into offense. Having a good rim protection uh, and, and guy who can clean up the glass can go the other way, and and, and Ude can fly too. So it's not like he can be like a Derek Lively in the sense that we saw Derek Lively at times last year would block the shot or grab the rebound, and then he'd be the first person and beat everybody down the floor for a dunk. We can see that in Ude. So uh, I'd love to have him in a Blue Devil uniform, but again, as the other two have mentioned, we have to wait and see if Duke is actually interested in him. It just seems like an intriguing match. No, I think that'll do it for us here. We have no uh, further sort of transfer roster news, uh, hard news, at least to report on. Obviously, we'll be back as soon as uh, as soon as there is anything to talk about. Jeremy Roach coming back to school, Duke picking up any any transfers in the portal, etc. So uh, until that time, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 515 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Duke Band, take us home. You know, a great off-season activity 
we could have a podcast where we each go back and forth naming Duke players until we can't name anyone else. <laughs> Duke play a game. Uh, it wouldn't be as fun with Duke players. Three hours. There's not enough. But the um, um, uh, where you say the name of a baseball player, like a basketball player or something, and then the person has to say another name that the first name starts with the first letter of the last name of the previous guy. I've mm-hmm. done this with baseball yeah. players a few times. It's fun. Yeah. Anyway, we so so the alphabet game we used to do it. We used to do it even harder. So the alphabet game, pick a category, right? And it was the letter that the word ended with is what you had to do. So a lot of times you'd have like that's the challenge because you get so many A's. It's unbelievable how many A's you get. Well, you get A's, but also if you're really good, you can get someone with an X. Right, right. You end with there's only a few Xavier's in the world that are like you know enough where you would remember them. So, or Xanders or things like that. So, yeah, it, th- that's how we would do it, or Zs. If you end up with, like, Sanchez or something, someone's like, oh, man, now I got a Z, and they got to figure out some guy that starts with Z. There's not that many, you know, famous, you know, baseball players, basketball players, whatever, that start with Z. When, when we were driving places growing up, my family, we would do it with geography. And at mm-hmm. first, we started doing that's it with do. the United States. And, and we reached the point where we would exclude the United States. It had to be stuff international. Uh, and, and every so often we'd have like a friend in the car with us or something like that. And they'd be like, uh, you know, they'd like go England and then they'd be done. <laughs> yeah. And we're naming Djibouti and stuff like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like, what does Djibouti end with? I don't know. But you better say it right. <laughs> better come over Iceland. <laughs> exactly. Although I'm going to be really interested in seeing Lively's measurements. Uh, I think that when teams measure him, they're going to be like, ooh, like they didn't, uh, didn't," you know. It's one thing to see him on the floor. It's another thing to measure him and go like, damn, I didn't realize he was that. Like, he is really long. So I always always tell people this, like, when was, you know, everyone, you know, they list a bunch of people like seven foot tall, right? Six, eleven, seven feet. But when you see some people, you're like, oh, that dude is actually seven feet. Like, that's not a drill. And I will say this. Kyle Filipowski is actually seven feet tall. That man is a tall beast until you see him next to Derek Lively. Derek Lively was just looking down at him like, hey, what's going on down there? Like Christian Reeves is listed at seven one, and even Christian Reeves is kind of like looking up at Derek. Derek Lively might be seven two. Like he's that he is a tall human being. And when you stand next to him, you're just like you will you will have a you know just your neck will just be contorted just to see his face like that man's tall